I'm really excited for today's Culture podcast. I don't usually read an entire bio intro that, I, that the guests send, but this time I'm going to make an exception because I enjoyed it so much when I read it the first time. So our guest today is Michael Shapiro. Michael is a clinical psychologist, consultant, speaker, Dharma teacher, meditation researcher, and former Buddhist monk. He's on the faculty at Esalen Institute and is a fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where he engages in research on meditation, transformation, and consciousness. He teaches nationally on the art and science of transformation, expanded human capabilities, self-care, and non-dual meditation. He consults regularly on creative problem solving and creating conscious workplaces with organizations, groups, and nonprofits. He is the founding teacher of Maitri Sangha Boise, an integrated Buddhist community, and director of Maitri House Yoga, LLC, serving the community through integrating meditation practices, psychology, noetic sciences, and social justice. His work is dedicated to personal awakening for the sake of collective and planetary transformation. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast, a show that explores the sometimes unseen forces that animate, connect, and unleash thriving companies and teams. You're listening to the Key to Culture podcast, exploring vital energy and life force at work with Tom Kelly. So welcome to the Key to Culture podcast. I'm really pleased to have as a guest today, Dr. Michael Sapiro. Mike and I met probably a month ago at an amazing retreat in California, and he's a great teacher. And I'm just, he, he was, I asked him to be on the podcast. He said, I love podcasts. So I knew <laughs> that we had a good connection. So welcome. Really good to have you here. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me here. And I, I appreciated your presence at the workshop. So, you know, when I sense somebody's really intention and kind of presence with me, and they ask me to do something that that's usually the way I say yes, more than just the interest in being interviewed. It's being interviewed with someone I felt connected to. Awesome. Perfect. We're going to eventually get into talking about yeah. the conscious workplace because that's what Keto culture is all about, but you do a lot of things. And so it, why don't you share with us the kind of your origin story? How did you get to this place that you are now doing this amazing teaching? Great. Yeah. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm also a Dharma teacher. That means I'm teaching in a pretty specific Buddhist tradition. And I'm a meditation researcher, so I've spent time looking at the impact of meditation on quality of life, on reduction of symptoms of depression, let's say, and then also how meditation expands our human consciousness. So looking at meditation through a lens of research, I teach at Esalen Institute, specifically around what we call the art and science of transformation. And I teach with a really beloved friend and colleague, Cassandra Veaton. And um, I will be teaching uh, a course on self-care with Alyssa Eppel. And that's who you met me teaching with at 1440, along with Dan Siegel. Um, So my work really integrates clinical psychology, Buddhist psychology, Buddhist teaching, non-dual teachings, which is a very specific kind of um, a teaching lineage that comes out of northern India. And then I also incorporate science, 
uh, along with my teaching. So whatever I'm teaching, it kind of incorporates all of those streams in there, spirituality, psychology, and science. Fantastic. Yeah, that's kind of where Keto culture came from. I have all kinds of varied interests, and I was, I was actually concentrating on doing work with men. And then where are they? Where are they gathered and in the workplace? So it was a natural move to say, hey, let's take all this stuff where everyone's sitting at their desks. So yeah, in talking about the conscious workplace, mm-hmm. what makes a conscious workplace, we talked earlier about the leader's role. Mm-hmm. What does a leader have to do to create the beginnings or the or a conscious workplace. Yeah, that, that's a, I love that kind of concept because there has to be. A, I see things as a hub, spoke, and a wheel. That societies or cultures or workplaces or or communities usually gather around a central hub, and that hub can be a person, a group of people. It could be a philosophy that then reaches out through practices, which are the spokes into the hub of the the actual mm, kind of community itself, whether that be the workplace or a tribe or a city or a state. And so the hub tends to be a philosophy of being, a way of being. And usually you'll have a specific group of people, a leaders, a set of leaders, whether it's one person, their idea, or it's a group of people, um, buying into one particular or two particular philosophies that then influence and impact the rest of the group and their mission and what they do, you know, concretely in the world. Um, I should have, you know, I did, I did a, a fairly quick job of introducing myself, but what I do is really work with, I'm a consultant. I do clinical psychology. I do research. I teach Buddhism, but I also consult with large organizations on how do you create this kind of culture where, you're all in the hub. Your, your vision for the creation of this community or the culture of the workplace, uh, everybody gets to have a piece of that, uh, which makes it a much stronger vision. Although how you do that is really specific because if you just let everyone have an equal voice, then you're, you find yourself stumbling over all your voices. So, there has to, so that's what I do in consultation is I help create visions and help leaders see how important it is to bring in the voices of their their people but while still leading consciously and not completely giving up control per se so i wanted to add that piece into our talk that that's what i do as a consultant Mm -hmm. right perfect so but about the leader what what are they exude first part you're talking about what might have been mission purpose you know that what maybe the leader started out as an individual you know, they, they, they started the company and then when it right. grows, what do, what do they have to be like? Yeah. So there's a stance and I usually use the word stance. So what is their stance of leadership? What makes up their philosophy of leadership? And you can see the different types of leadership. If you look over the history of presidents, you can see how uh, different presidents, their stances are, are varied and how that impacts um, policy, how that impacts um, you know, on the ground decision making of organizations, uh, whether it be the leader who wants to grow and just be business oriented and looks for profit, regardless of the impact on the ground of people who are really needing resources, you know, or, you know, so it, for me as a psychologist, I'm always looking at the, the kind of 
the behaviors and the beliefs that the leader has about their organization. So the stance that I prefer to encourage is one of curiosity, openness. It's a stance of inclusion. Uh, it's a stance of encouragement. How do you encourage the best of each of your employees or staff to show up every day or more than not every day? So, uh, you know, I'm always looking at what are the underlying beliefs that a leader has about how you use, and I'm quoting use, versus how you incorporate, engage, and collaborate. So those are very different stances when you're using people to get to a means versus when you're incorporating them and encouraging collaboration to get to a greater means. Right. I can totally see. And I, and I love the stance concept because I, one time I heard some, an athlete way back said, I don't, I don't want to be a role model. And, it, and the thought was, you're being viewed a lot. So you're, tell, you're broadcasting stuff all the time, whether you think you're turning it on or off, like it's not up to you. You're, the way you're being is influencing people around you. And they can totally choose, though, consciously to say, I don't care. Right. I know that but I don't care. And that's not part of my intention of what I'm doing. I have to be in a position that's public, but I'm going to do what I want. Uh, and I'm not saying this is healthy or not. That right. I don't know that person's behaviors and how that impacts others. Uh, but they do get to choose just like our president honestly gets to choose. I don't care how I'm viewed. This is what I believe. This is what I want. And I'm going to do it anyway, regardless of impact. Now, I don't think that's a healthy way of being a leader, but they certainly have the right to say that. They go, I'm a baseball player. I don't care if kids are viewing my drug behaviors and what, the way I'm doing it, because that's my choice, and I happen to be in public. Um, it's a lot of pressure to be in public, to be a leader, and then to have to take on the role of uh, uh, like mentor to everyone. But truthfully, you are correct also. We are being viewed, and the way we act as leaders does have an impact. And so if you care get to know what you're broadcasting with yeah. the curiosity it the leader has to be curious and how does how does curiosity how does a leader's openness and curiosity create connection and how 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 important is connection in any organization of any kind two questions there i'm hearing what does curiosity look like in a leader and does curiosity create connection but you have to ask what type of connection, because it always creates connection. Is it a healthy, skillful, and helpful connection? Or is it a connection that's dismissive, where you have ruptures, where the person feels invalidated? That's still a connection. It's just a poor one. It's an unhealthy one. Right. So <clears throat> I'll answer the first one. What does curiosity look like? It's a stance, again. A stance is when you understand that you have a worldview that you're looking at the world, the workplace and your organization through understanding that I view my workplace. I view my organization in a particular way. That means a leader has to have self-awareness that I'm carrying a particular belief and worldview that influences my decisions in the workplace. A good leader will have self-awareness that I know this is one piece of the puzzle a leader who's not skillful goes, this is the whole puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so where curiosity comes into play is when a skillful, conscious leader goes, my stance is one of many. I know I'm the leader of this organization, but I also know I don't have all the puzzles. I don't have all the pieces to my puzzle. Right. 
So curiosity is what does it look like? What is the bigger picture? Where is it that I'm not seeing? What parts of the puzzle do I, I can't know because I am, I'm limited in my human experience where I have to have other sets of eyes and brains and intuition and wisdom to help create a bigger global picture of my business organization that I'm naturally missing. So you want a leader who's naturally curious, what am I missing? What do other people see that I'm not seeing? Because those are parts of the puzzle that I need to have a bigger picture of what I'm creating. Right. That's, that resonates. You, you mentioned that curiosity, create, or one of the hallmarks of it is being open and critical listening, good, real good listening. Let's get kind of esoteric, because I love going there. Where are you list, Where's the great leader in your, with all the tools that you have, have studied, where's he listening from? Like in his body? Is there, you know, it's it, traditionally, oh, you listen with your ears, but. I'm listening different. way beyond my personality. I'm listening. What that means is I have Mike and Mike has some ideas in him. Mike has some limited understanding of the universe. I'm listening one through him so mike's getting some of this amazing data from other people and this is also where connection comes in we didn't quite hit how does curiosity solicit connection but this is starting i'll talk about that now right. when you're listening to another person i'm not listening through the lens of mike knows something and this is either confirming or it's um what's the opposite of confirming it's like either confirming what i know or it's like Adding, dismissing, right? Yeah. So if I have a stance of like, I already know, and I'm listening just to see if what you have to say confirms what I know. Now I'm closed listening. I'm listening. I'm not curious at all. So beyond personality means like I have to listen beyond Mike's limited understanding of things because he's going to be listening for confirmation or dismissal. That's what people do is what you're saying. Does it align or is it, should I shut it down? Cause it's well beyond my worldview. Yep. That's a very limiting way of listening. Yep. A good leader, a very conscious leader listens from the depth of their own wisdom going, I already know, I don't know everything. So I'm going to listen to this person, whether I think they're true or not, is not even relevant right now in my listening. I can later go, yeah, that doesn't feel right, or yes, that aligns, but that's not relevant to listening. Listening is open, like a microphone picks up everything without judging. Your microphone's not shutting me down just because it doesn't like what I'm saying. Right. Right. Why don't we listen as a microphone listens, completely observant and aware of what's coming in, and register in our body that resonates, that doesn't resonate. But even beyond that, let me just collect data from this person because there's something that's different than what I'm understanding of the universe, of my business. And so listening for me comes from a really rich, deep place from source itself, that kind of place of spacious awareness that's really wide and uh, actually it's infinite, it's full of love. And that's what's listening beyond my personality. So... I'm going to bounce something off you. I tell this story every once in a while, and I told it last night at my men's group about the beginning meditators, the the uh, somewhat advanced meditators, and then the totally masterful meditators. And the, there was a gong that happens during the meditation. And the beginning people were like, whoa, you know, got totally out of it and had to work their way back. The medium ones heard it and then kind of came back 
and then they heard it again and they came, they were good at coming back and the advanced ones heard it just got rid of it somehow and then when they heard it again they were hearing it new they I, w- I would say instead of get rid of it it's one piece of an infinite number of data points that are in your awareness right and you don't have to compare it to anything but there's no you doing anything yourself are infinite space of awareness in which everything is arising and falling there is no at that point and that doesn't mean every advanced meditator is always in open spacious awareness sometimes they're concentrating and when they're concentrating there's nothing else that exists except for what they're concentrating on mm. the brain might register a sound but they are that is a not breath concentration means you're just on breath when a sound arises for an advanced practitioner that is not breath there there's a brain register there is an audio a data point of a gong it's not even a gong it's just a piece of data but they're focused just on breath so that's not breath so they don't have to move their attention to it because it's not breath another advanced practice is open awareness where you are sitting as open awareness and whatever arises in it is just a data point arise it's a phenomenon arising in your awareness and there's nothing different beside from my voice bell car feeling of air light it's all just life happening as it is right. so you don't do anything with it because you're not doing anything at that point you are spacious open awareness yes. thank you for that so that's i never connected it to that plane of possibility the infinite plane of possibility that's that's correct that's what dan siegel speaks about and that in meditation that's the plane of possibility where you're residing as awareness and anything that arises is coming out of a plane of possibilities into existence dissolving back into the plane itself and that's where we listen from that's where a conscious leader sits and listens from because anything can arise out of somebody's brain mouth wisdom their experience as a human being and a conscious leader will take all of it in and then later digest it and go let me keep these pieces and let those other pieces just pass by wow good stuff it seems to me that that the the open listening is a it's a it's part of the stance. The maybe yes. the biggest is it the biggest part of the stance? I think the biggest part of the stance is being in a position of loving everyone you're listening to, that you love who you've hired, you love what you're doing, and it's not the human love. You're residing in this deep, unbounded place of love for life existing, and you are lucky enough to have created a very specific manifestation that looks like your business, your business goals. And it comes out of your love of what you're doing. And so everyone there is a part of this amazing creation that you've been blessed enough to create in this lifetime. That's your first stance. So everybody who comes, you're like, welcome to this creation of reality. We're all co-creating together. Congratulations on making it. That's our first stance. That's amazing. If, if I could, if the, instead of Google Translate, I could just stuff that I say have go through your thing. Because I, I, I crudely describe it as we want at our company, we want people to not have a work week and then a weekend where they go do a workshop. We want the whole thing to be yeah. a workshop. That same feeling we had at 1440 right. during the week on Tuesday afternoon. We're all co-creating the experience of reality together. There's someone who has a vision that we're buying into. As a leader of a Buddhist community, I have a leadership team, and they're buying into my vision. And I'm buying into the vision that Mike had of this thing. So I'm like, wow, Mike, cool, let's do it. I believe in you, buddy. I'm saying that to myself. And 
my leadership team goes, we believe in you, Mike. And so they're buying into this, this creation that I, I kind of came to me, you know, as a gift from wherever or whomever. Um, and then we're all co-creating together. Now I have to get out of my way sometimes as leader to be like, well, Mike has a really strong idea and, and I'm kind of pushing people to back me up instead of going, well, here's an idea now. And now we have a leadership team. What do we think about this idea? How, and then in the end though, they do defer back to me as the leader, I'm quoting, to make the ultimate decision unless part of my stance is the ultimate decision comes from all of us right now. Right. And I get to choose that right now. This ultimate decision will lay with me and other times it lays with all of us. A conscious leader knows how to navigate when the right time is to go. It's an all decision or you know what? I'll take your input, but I'm going to hold a sovereignty on this one. Um, and that also comes from this practice we're talking about of curiosity. I have to be curious to know when Mike needs to step back. Mm -hmm. So this is all a piece of being a conscious leader. Right. So let's move from the stance to actions. How does the leader interact with the, the management staff or the whole, everyone who works there to create what they, you know, the desired, um, yeah. like creativity or what, whatever, is, whatever the desired um, results are? What, what are some things that a leader does? Yeah, so normally, you know, a leader has a goal in mind for the company, for their organization, whether it's fiscal or it's, it's product-oriented, what do they want to create to get, get in the world, which usually translates to money for most organizations, unless they're doing service to the community. And then it's like, how does service look in the world? How many people can we elevate? Or, you know, so, you know, every leader has a different kind of uh, outcome that they're looking for. But for me, the, um, the collaborative process is kind of the same when you have a staff who are buying into your, your vision of the outcome. And it's knowing how, and I wrote this to you in an email, it's knowing how to solicit, how do you elicit creativity, wisdom, and insight? And then how do you solicit it, bring it forward into the world? So those are different. How do you elicit a feeling of creativity in the workplace? How does a leader say, okay, today's about flow and brainstorming. What does a leader have to do to get the best flow in the room between people and internally in person so that new ideas are coming from a bigger place, not just from someone's limited worldview, but from a really more global, almost unconscious kind of place? How do you really elicit that kind of creativity. So we're way past department heads coming to the table and trying to advocate for their department. We're, we're into a whole new way of being. How do you solicit unconscious material from everybody working at that place so that now we're getting more than just an individual and individual and individual, we're getting kind of the threads that underlie our own consciousness as humanity because we all have uh, that, what you would call the kind of unconscious creativity, unconscious, the collective kind of consciousness, the material that comes from history and, and our ancestors. We all contain that, but many of us don't, <clears throat> don't have the time or expertise or guidance to bring that up in our life. And then we use our limited human consciousness that happened since we were born, which is dependent on environment, our economic, social class, our education, you know, our brain uh, develops 
with our environment and with some DNA and genetic input, but that's limited. That's limited right. Mike's human experience. Can Mike tap into something greater than that? And can a leader solicit that from each person in the workplace? And how do you do that? You have to have some skill in actually having people be quiet, go into themselves, and then come forward with creativity, whether that's artistic creativity, verbal, written, whether they're making something with their hands. And leaders who are really skillful know that this is where genius comes from. And you can solicit genius from everybody in the room in different ways if you know how to work with people. And so really conscious leaders have skills and tools that they bring in the best of each person. That's what I'm talking about. What does it take to be a leader that goes, I know something resides in you that's bigger than you even know. And I need that because that my, my company, my organization, our success depends on that. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. fulfillment's going to flow from that too. Cause what, what, exactly. yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost like the, the, the workplace is changing, but the old workplace that we think of with the, with the, hierarchical, powerful man ruling everything is designed to not have any of that happen. It's totally just, so, just yeah. bring your thing that agrees with my thing and let's just like, we'll hit the gavel and move on. It's the Simpsons had an episode where uh, Burns have a, has a whole room of monkeys typing for him. You know, he gives him an assignment and there's monkeys with cigars and they're all typing away. It's like, and, you know, uh, an, ultra, uh, uh, an old leader, an unconscious leader, not old age, but like a more American traditional, this is what I want you to do, and this is what you're going to do, is literally taking uh, a slice of a pizza thinking it's the whole pizza. Right. Instead of going, gosh, you're a human being who has potential beyond your knowledge, beyond my knowledge. What can I do to bring that forward? then I get a whole thing from you. I'm not just asking one small slice. I'm asking you for your whole pizza. And then I know it's a funny metaphor, but then the person's like, ah, I have a whole pizza. I didn't even know I was a whole thing. I just thought I was here to type something like the boss told me to. But really, I have something to contribute and I feel worthwhile. I feel validated because someone believes in my potential and is asking me to step up into that potential for the sake of the good of the whole company. And it's actually good for me as a person. So what kind of leader does that have to be where they're like, I know your job here is really just to do administration, but you really matter. And if you have new ideas for how this could be better, please bring them to me because I want you to be at your fullest potential. Even though you're only filing and typing right now, you have something that's really important. That's, that's huge. Yeah, I, I picture each employee is this wide range of possibilities. And if you keep them at the, at the basic job function it's but if you if you elicit then all of a sudden you have everybody's exponentially better at everything so you elicit which means you're bringing it up in them and then you solicit it which means you're bringing it forward into the room you're soliciting the best of everybody's stuff and now you have an organization where everyone's like on not all the time okay this is not i'm not trying to be fantastic or magical But more than not, what would it look like to have an organization where more than not, everybody's like on fire? They're like, I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing because I get to contribute more fully than I would have in an organization that's like, just do this fucking job. Just sit down and do what I'm telling you. Right. And then they last a few years and get burned out because they're not enjoying themselves in this process. So 
make an organization where everyone's really excited because they get to contribute and they find things in themselves they never knew. Or they leave after a few years to go to a company that's figured this out and they're right. and everyone's all lit up. What, like, what are you still doing at that place? Totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned something a while back about the employees have to get quiet or yeah. everybody needs to get quiet. What does that look like? First of all, I just want to let the listeners know we're talking in a kind of theoretical plane right now. The work I do is both theoretical and then practical. If I would come into your organization, we have activities that do everything I'm talking about where everyone leaves embodied. They feel what I'm talking about. The leaders understand because I'm leading them through activities that I'm eliciting and soliciting the same thing that they're going to be doing with their staff. So I want to make it clear we are operating in this conversation theoretically, but all of this becomes practical in, in our trainings and in my consultation. So just to put that out there. And, and it has to, right? It it, has it, to. It, otherwise, it's, it's like banter. and It's smoke. Nothing yeah. there. You're grabbing onto nothing. So we're talking about theoretically where my philosophy lies in creating a conscious workplace, but all of this turns out to be practical in the end. And then you see the differences. We would measure productivity, sick days, time off. Uh, engagement in the workplace, the type of things you're creating, you could see are different before and after. Um, things like that we, is what we can measure. And if you're in a hospital setting, we'd measure patient satisfaction, patient outcome, because this trickles down to patients if you're in a hospital, and this trickles down to productivity if you're in a, you know, like a business that creates. Yeah. And we, we I mean, every, every listener can probably relate to interacting with somebody at a company and knowing pretty much like whether that company's a degree of lit up or just a, a death trap, you know, it, it, it's so dramatic sometimes, but I love what you said about the practical. Like I was, I was in the Marine Corps years ago and the idea that the general patent top down leader could actually make effective um, lieutenants was totally out the window by the time I went through, because if you teach them what exactly to do, then they get off from you and they don't know what to do anymore because they, mm-hmm. you're not, they can't talk to you. But right. if you teach them what to like, how to be in a new situation, then they don't even need to talk to you for a long time and they're doing effective things. So because they're accessing it in themselves hmm. exactly. because they found the teacher or the, the general they found their guide in themselves, which now they can rely on more than not. And when they can't, when it's beyond even their inner guide, teacher, general, they go to the general teacher guide and say, hey, I'm stuck. What's the next stage of my development? It's always about development. So you have a staff member who gets to become the leader in, them, in, the, in themselves. And when they're at the edge of their skills, they go to the leader and going, here, where's my next place of development? And the leader goes, "Ah, I see where you're at. Here's where that next stage is. Go practice that while you're working and you'll start becoming that leader in yourself again. We're making leaders in every position. And so uh, I want to bring it back. You asked me about quiet. Well, our minds are so noisy that we have to train ourselves to become quiet, to hear the inner wisdom, the inner leader. Because if your mind is so noisy, it's going, yes, no, do it this way. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. You're confusing yourself. You end up being paralyzed. I don't know where, which way to go. I don't know what direction to go. Because you're not, you're not really going inward and eliciting your own leader. Because you're, you're, you're noisy. 
So we have to teach as a leadership, we have to teach our staff and employees to be quiet, to access their own wisdom, because that's what we want from them. We want them to sit there doing a task, feeling overwhelmed by it, and then calming themselves down and going, I can do this. And if they learn they don't have the skills, then they can go back and go, hey, I don't have this. Can you help me? Or they might find, I know what to do now. I'm quiet enough and I hear the answer. You have to be quiet to hear answers. Right. That's why we have to help our uh, employees become quiet so that they can hear answers and not be overly dependent on leadership for every little thing. Right. Is, is that quiet a function of um, things you can do with the teams in the workplace or is it a function of self-care? Like a, both, you know, complete both. You, okay. you, you create an environment that has quiet time built in, reflection time, where you, you and then you also encourage staff to take their breaks. The worst kinds of leaders, that's a judgment, the most unskillful and unhealthy leaders are those that push their employees past what's physically healthy, what's, what's neurologically tolerable. Right. Your brain has to rest. Your body has to rest. So let me say it again. I'll be judgmental for a sec. The worst kind of leaders push their, push their staff beyond what's healthy. The best kind of leaders recognize the body's limitations and the brain's limitations and work with that natural cycle of ebb and flow of energy, concentration, focus. They understand there are times of days, times of day where we're naturally lethargic, where we need to rest, and then we come back into full force into creativity mode. You can't force creativity when your brain is sluggish and tired. And if you're saying, I want you to work through your break today, what you're saying is I want you to exhaust yourself and I'm actually not caring about your product quality, which is opposite of what you want to do as a leader. Yeah. So why are leaders pushing beyond what's reasonable? It's because they're greedy and they, they're, they're, they, they desire to use up everybody, all the juices. And that's an unhealthy leader. That's an unconscious, greedy-oriented leader that, that – that's all judgmental what I just said, but I, I think your listeners will understand the truth in that. But it's it's um yeah, it's true that if you choose like I need everyone to work a nine and a half hour day. That's the, that's what we're going by. That's what we're seeing. That's that's the result that matters the most, as opposed, especially at a job where creativity and bursts of ideas matter. It's like okay, you got nine hours. Congratulations! Like, didn't nothing else happen? Like, didn't you didn't get the outcome you wanted? So let's go into we we all, we have a few more minutes. Um, let's go into um, self care. What what can what are some of the like? Pra- I, I kind of like to bring it sometimes. People listen to these podcasts sometimes. Like, what do I what am I going to walk away? You know, what practical thing can I do today or tomorrow? So self care, yeah. and let's even maybe look at it as if pertains to that very important getting quiet resting the body is self-care so as a leader you want to have an organization that understands the person's body has limits and it needs refreshment it needs rejuvenation it needs good calories it needs healthy food it needs oxygen and air to thrive you want your employees bodies to be thriving because then their minds will be vibrant It'll have vitality. Creativity is more likely to flow when the body is healthy. 
So you create an organization, you create a culture around vibrancy, vitality, and health because you're going to get such better results from your employees when you have fruits and snacks and good water and you have break rooms that are quiet. You, you, you literally go, everybody, take a break, go walk. You have a walking path around your building. It's not always possible, but um, when I worked with some administration at the VA hospital where I was a, a fellow, uh, I helped them um, enforce breaks. Like, no, really, go take your break. You deserve to rest. You're working with really um, high-needs patients. Please take care of yourself so that you're really on when you're working with. So really practically is having break rooms, encouraging breaks and lunches, having really healthy foods and having games around, having um, self-care is also when you connect with other people in a way that's not stressful. Or you can have actually cool acute stress like challenges having a challenging non-threatening situation for staff to overcome is actually self-care because you're, you're getting excited. You're working with each other. It's not like high demand where if you do this, you're going to get fired, which is bad stress versus good stress, which Apple talks about frequently. So self-care ranges from the, the, the foods and the drinks you have to breaks and to exercise to the mentality that your body matters to this productivity in this organization, your body and mind matter. And so let's do self-care practices. Yeah. That story at the workshop that you and, and uh, her were, um, were teaching and Daniel about the story about the lion and the gazelle having Mm -hmm. two totally different types of stress, you know, both engaged in the same type of activity. Yeah. We don't always want to, we want to encourage our employees and staff to be the lioness, to be the lion rather than the gazelle, like, oh shit, if I don't do this, I'm going to get fired. So, oh, now I'm cramping up. I'm getting tight. And now I'm working from fear instead of work, working from creativity, working from flow stance, from aha moments. You want to encourage the staff to feel empowered rather than disempowered with your leadership. And that includes giving them self-care, teaching them how to care for themselves because you're only going to get better employees, literally. Right. So I, I don't know how to spread this message widely, but I want to. I want to have big CEOs of organizations hear this message of how important it is to care for the employee's body and mind because their productivity of the organization will exponentially grow per person in their building. Right. And, the, and even like what, what seems or sleep seems like something you can you, – Traditionally, you can't talk about it at the workplace. It's it's a totally different place in your life, but it's not. It's not at a all. A person who doesn't get the sleep, it there they are, you know, sluggish and coffee. And, and a good, really conscious leader will see their employees and their staff who are suffering and struggling with alcoholism, with low self-esteem, and they will encourage getting mental health treatment. Like, hey, we want you to be full and be. It's it's not really. Um, it's funny. How do I say this? We do that in an organization to get better product and make more money. That's truly the bottom line for many organizations, but you can do it in a way that you actually give a shit about the person working with you. So you're like, it's not only because I want you to be more productive. We actually care about your mental well-being. So if you're not sleeping well, it does hurt our bottom line. If you're drinking too much on evenings, it hurts our bottom line. But we also care about you at the same time. Right. So 
it's not like altruism. Hey, please go get some help just for the sake of help. I mean, I would say that as a psychologist, of right. course. But if I'm a CEO, the bottom line is money most of the time. So let's be honest, like they're going, how do I get more money? How do we make a product that's better so we can make more? Um, in most cases, that's truly the bottom line. But you can do it in a way that's consciously caring about your employees because when they're healthy, your organization is healthy. So th- this is, a, it's a huge ecosystem. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how just these discussions, you this model goes everywhere goes to the U S foreign policy. Like, yeah, we we're trying to help in this foreign land because it serves us, but also hopefully because we care and we, we, we're part of the whole family, you know, that's right. That's the stance. That's stance. So that's, that's where we could maybe absolutely down right on that. That's that's my message. That's the work I do. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, you're you're very skilled at it, and yeah, you're right. It was almost like a Tai Chi form that we finished right, right back where we started. Right, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I hope this uh, helps shift cultures in our in our in our you know businesses around the country. Country. Totally. So. Real quickly, where can they find you, and what do you have coming up? Uh, they can find me at michaelsapiro.com. They can find me on Instagram at Dr. Mike Boise, B-O-I-S-E. They can find me at um, Esalen Institute. I teach two or three times a year these workshops. They can hire me for consultations and presentations. I do keynote addresses. I come in and do trainings for organizations. Um, Coming up next, it's sold out, I think, at Esalen, but um, there's an art and science of transformation, how we change and why we don't with Cassandra Beaton and then a self-care, a self-care workshop with Alyssa Apple over Christmas at SLM too. So I'm always available for emails at drmichaelsapiro at gmail.com. And you can always just uh, send people my way when they hear of me. Perfect. Now I'm going to put all the links under the podcast, but the, the key though, is I've learned with you is you gotta, you gotta get there sooner rather than later. Cause there's a, there's a wait list. Yeah, there's a wait list for everything. So be prepared to wait, but I hope it's worth it. I can't tell you it is, but I hear it's worth it. Yep, yep, perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Tom. you so much. Have a great rest of the day. All right. Take and, good care. Uh, you too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Key to Culture podcast, sponsored by Quantius, the premier marketing agency for emerging technology. Quantius, smart, fast, curious.